So, <clears throat> this morning I'd like to reflect, and I've got a title which is Back to Basics. Back to Basics, or actually before I continue, what happens to your heart with that title? Some of us don't like the idea of basic. We want to get further along as if basic was what you do only at the beginning. And we've been here three weeks, so you know we're with the deep. Deep and basic don't go together. Anybody have that idea? But actually the Buddha is uh, quite renowned for his basicness his invitation to keep coming back to the basics. And what do I mean by that? I'm going to speak a little bit about coming back to the sense bases, senses of eye, ear, nose, taste, and touch, and the mind. The six sense bases, that perceiving that happens, contact, moment to moment to moment, through one of those six sense bases. He said this practice of where the spiritual faculties meet at that doorway of perception, so a sight arises, a sound, a taste, a smell, a touch, a thought, a feeling. He said this practice of the six sense bases is the undistorted descent into emptiness. The undistorted descent into emptiness. So as I speak, let yourself dwell in this basicness. And you can see it sometimes, can't you, in very awake beings, how basic they are. (laughs) Whoever is your icon for that. Yes, they may be able to handle complexity. That's different. Handling complexity can be a skill, a development. But if you look at the Dalai Lama, as he's one many people's favorites, Something very basic in the immediate meeting through the eyes, the ears, the touch, the sense. What is this connection between being so basic and undistorted with the depth of understanding emptiness? So let your eyes, if they're open, let them simply see the colors and the textures and the form. The ears are simply receiving this sound of, in this case, radiators, my voice. There'll be the coolness or warmth on your skin right now, the rub of your clothes. Maybe there's some inner perceptions of feelings or thoughts moving through. The undistorted descent into emptiness. 
And this is the doorway that I'm going to turn toward in this talk. When emptiness is understood in its, uh, on any level actually, but in its depth and what it, what it can mean for us, it's not a state or a thing that we get to, but it's a freeing up. It's a freeing up of the heart-mind, a freeing up of the chitta, where less and less we're taking a particular experience to be the ultimate reality. And we do that when we cling. Every time we cling to a feeling, a thought, a mind state, a mood, a spiritual experience, in the moment of clinging we're somehow reifying that as if it had an inherent existence, as if it wasn't empty, as if it somehow existed on its own, and this one is me, or this one is not me, but we're clinging to it, right? To understand emptiness would be to let this chitta, this heart-mind, be free to show up in this moment in the way that is most appropriate to the situation. That's what a Buddha is, in fact. Her or his understanding lets the heart-mind be freed up from the compulsion to say, oop, not that, or not one of those, or, oh yes, this is it, got there. Freed up from that compulsion. And then what's left? Life can keep arising in that vessel, that conduit for life, for the mystery, can arise in that moment in a way that is appropriate. Somebody asked the Zen master, what was the Buddha doing during her lifetime? And the Zen master replied, an an appropriate response. That's all. (laughs) Because that's all the only place our life ever is, isn't it? It's here. It's here. We can't even get ready for the future as much as we try and scramble, and I'm sure many of us have tried that and continue to try that, with whatever way our mind even here might be scrambling to future. For security, for who I'm going to be or who I want to be or who I hope I'm not going to be, or where I hope I've gotten to by then, and who I'm with and who I'm not with. That's why the death reflection, that's why the daily reminder. There isn't a future. It exists as a thought in our mind when we bring that back to bear in the present and actually it's uncertainty, my time of death. For all of us, old or young. Actually, I got an email this morning from one of my students, and she said, Could we talk tonight? One of my colleagues at work uh, just dropped dead last night. Somebody in the prime of their life. Right? It's not about becoming inured to that. It's about being using that skillfully to wake up to the basic deal that we've got. This is it. 
This is it. These eyes, these ears, this mind, this sensitivity, this humanness. And so we can do very well to walk with the skeleton and sit with a skeleton. To not proliferate only in mind-made worlds which never take us home on their own. On their own. Of course we want the mind. Of course we want to bring it into alignment with the totality of what is actually here and now. This is our descent, undistorted descent into emptiness. Not our ideas about emptiness. Or our previous experiences of emptiness. Previous understandings. It has to be lived. It's fresh in this moment. And empty, if any of you have the... um, association that empty is something undesirable because it's not a very attractive word usually for many of us if it has a perception of deficiency like empty means you're lacking something or that can come up that can come up and sometimes as we traverse the territory somebody was telling me about something that happened on the retreat of a really difficult territory that they know very well for themselves very difficult territory that feels like being scoured out on the inside. Right? Alone, lonely, scoured out. Previously, now that they've seen something um, new about it, previously taken as, whoa, that's, that's, that's me in some way. That's like the bottom card. Something missing, something lacking, something. Not here. That's sometimes how we can think. And actually through that journey of handling that with mindfulness, faith, confidence, sensitivity, investigation, here and now, through the eye of the needle of what was previously not able to be touched, opened out into new vistas, new confidences that, yeah, that too, that too, even that one I thought was the bottom card, of the deck. That too is not me, not mine, not myself. It was able to be handled through the basic handling of mindfulness through the sense doors. Extraordinarily ordinary and, you know, moment to moment and extraordinarily profound of what we can open into. Empty, we could say, is emptying of the process of being compelled by our mind. Empty allows that, as I said, that malleability, so life can show up in an intelli- more and more a clarified, intelligent way. You don't have to get it perfect, but there's less and less veils, less and less cushioning, less and less armor. And then, then it's responsive, right? Then the heart-mind is responsive to ourself, to our world. Emptying out the compulsion. The compulsion to pick everything up that arises as me and mine. The fear, the glow, the glory, the hate, the loneliness. Yes, this too is a condition. This too is subject to change. This too is dukkha if I cling to it. So 
I want to lean in today to the perception of the descent into emptying out. It's like we can empty out the compulsion to pick it all up. When we can turn to that, then we have more freedom and play with the malleability of the mind. Then we have more freedom and play to pick up what leads onward and to leave behind what does not. And that's a basic discernment of wisdom to be able to pick up and move with what leads onward toward more happiness, toward more goal, towards more freedom and well-being, and letting go and putting down. Actually, I don't need to pick this one up. I know where it leads. It doesn't lead somewhere helpful. right? Then there's more room to play. The compulsion to pick it up is the compulsion. One of my teachers has a talk I listen to sometimes. It's called Compulsive (laughs) Self-Activation. I love that title. It's almost like a button, you know. It's like, you know, you know what, probably you all know what it's like when you're in the stillness and the silence and we're starting to or deepening in those uh, resonances that are more free or more empty, we could say, and there's not much going on and we can, the heart starts to rest and we kind of recognize and love something about that. Then, whoop, something compulsive about going, yeah, but what about that thing I need to attend to? But yeah, but there is a problem with me and I need to sort that out first. Sometimes I would see my mind going around going, you know, something would be opening up and then there'd be this compulsive self-activation of, yeah, but I am bad. There is something wrong with me. Can I just find out what that is again? Please, somebody tell me. You'll have your own ones. And what happens when we're compelled to pick up those signs, the glorifying ones or the terrible ones, that the whole field, our whole field floods with the resonance of that. For example, we think of one thing that needs doing on our list. And for some of us, then the whole list comes in and suddenly the whole world is full of things to do. We flood. There's a tidal flood, like a, really like a tsunami. The whole chitter gets flooded with either the panic or the glow. So what would it be to empty out that tendency to compulsively activate ourself? And how is it for us to lean into when that's not being activated? To get to know more and more the signs and the resonances that are less compelling. Our mind is very compelling, isn't it? Well, my mind's very compelling. I tend to believe what it comes up with. Or we're trying to not believe what it comes up with. Still, we're giving it some sort of godlike status, as if it has the, the, the market on truth. How would it be to empty out from being compelled? Then what are you in touch with? It doesn't call as loud. It never usually calls it loud, as loud, although our heart may be yearning for the spiritual freedom that is offered. 
It never calls as loud with big advertising billboards saying, you're the best, you're the worst. That belongs... That belongs to the surface, actually. Can we tune to listen to that whisper, to the deathless nature, the birthless nature, where we're not compelled to take birth in what arises in this empty flow of events? And to to support that, let's tune ourself to what may not be so familiar and not so loud. In one of the Tibetan texts it says uh, underneath the pauper's house and pauper as meaning somebody who's poor underneath the pauper's house there are many treasures but the pauper never listens. And the treasures never say, I am here. The treasures never say, I am here. But something calls us. Something in us yearns for that freedom to not be compelled by our mind. So let's lean into the basic sense doors And this basic tendency toward emptying out of compulsion, of compelling ourselves. And I'm using the word field, the empty field. You know, there's a lovely Rumi poem, probably many of you have heard, about a field. He says... And see if you can hear this from that place in you that either knows this directly, not necessarily through memory, but because it's actually your nature, because it's here, it's more basic, more fundamental than the compulsions to activate ourselves. He says, Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there's a field, I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, and even the phrase, each other, doesn't make any sense. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing or rightdoing, there's a field, I'll meet you there. We, can, we could say that the Buddha taught um, two limbs, we could say two kinds of, uh, I don't know what the, quite, what the word would be, two kinds of freedom or two kinds of, two levels, we could say. The level of, um, I'll take a drink, a, a virtual drink with you and see if it helps. <laughs> I get the privilege of having one, sorry. If you need it, come and get it. Um, Yeah, the level of cultivating skillful cause and effect, right? So here's the chitta, the heart, mind. Let's give this woman a drink. (laughs) 
if you need it. Okay. Cultivating skillful cause and effect. So, so we um, learn what leads onward and we le- learn lo- what leads away from happiness. Right? We learn about kindness, we learn about generosity, we learn about cultivating that which is beautiful. And those things help make the chitta more transparent, more available to freedom. They're not a stopping point. We cultivate skillful cause and effect. But he also taught the freedom beyond cause and effect. No matter how good it gets, no matter how beautiful, how lovely, how much loveliness is available in any moment, it's subject to change, dissolution, decay, and moving on. What is the freedom that is beyond cause and effect? This is what we're this is what I'm pointing to today in this undistorted descent into emptiness. Even when the heart mind, the chitta is full, and we can be full of beautiful things as human beings and terrible things. That's where it goes in those dimensions. Beautiful things. We can be full of love, full of love, and it's beautiful, and it's wholesome, and it's beneficial, and it leads onward. But even when it's full, even when we're full, we're empty. The reason we can be filled up is because the vessel is empty. The reason different things can come in is because there isn't one thing that belongs to this vessel. It's subject to change and more or less wholesome conditions can arise within this location. It's an empty vessel in the best possible sense. It's like an empty bottle. In an empty bottle, you can have all different kinds of liquids, right? Milk, whiskey, water. I guess you could have all kinds of other things, couldn't you? Name your, li- name your poison. That's what we say, isn't it, in English? Name your poison. Or name your nourishment. But they're all subject to moving through and holding on causes stress, right? So yes, we can cultivate the wholesome and the beneficial and the beautiful absolutely for everyone's benefit. Freedom beyond the cause and effect is to know. How is it to rest without adding to the immediate sense contact that arises right now? It's just sound, and it's going to be resonating well or not well with you as you hear it. You might be loving it, what I'm saying. You might be not. You might be asleep. You might be... But just sound, just hearing, and just the resonance, whatever it is. Not adding, not taking away. It's just this, fresh, new... Being allowed to be that empty means we're allowed to be completely (laughs) born again, 
in this moment. In this moment, born, something arises, we're filled up. Do we know what it is? Because if we don't know what we're being filled up with, we get confused. It becomes a block. I don't want to be filled up with numbness or hardness or density. And we react against it and off we go into samsara. But actually right now, are we willing to be fresh and born again? Right here, what's here? What is the one that's being kind of breathed into, being animated as life in this moment? Oh, it's kind of a brightness and a excitement and okay and that fades away back into the stillness dropping away any confusion about what's here usually means we're treating it as if the liquid in the vessel was real had its own existence So what are we saturated with in any moment? Because whatever, if we pick up a detail that arises in the mind, I was working with some, uh, somebody before I came here this morning who's having a very difficult time, and she said, uh, uh, you know, it's got to that point where the adult children, which she is one, are trying to manage and navigate the whole what's happening with the parents and it starts to push up all of the old difficult dynamics they just get more difficult sometimes that happens and she says oh as i was supporting her and she was sitting with presence and starting to calm and open and widen and ground and then and then the story starts proliferating again. I said, what just happened there? She goes, oh, it was like a rocket just came through my heart. But she didn't see the rocket. It went right to the head center and then off she went. She doesn't want to keep going there. She's seen it enough. She's tired of it. She's really tired of it. World weary in a way, in a good way. Oh, if we don't see the rocket... The whole field floods with our reaction to the rocket. The panic. The whole field becomes panicked. And then on top of that is a counter, a counter sankara, a counter perception, a flood of all the other cascade of patterns and programs that come in on top of that. On top of the panic is the, and why did they do that? And she shouldn't have done that. And I should, and I've got every right to. And they, and And we know, we all know how that goes. It's so painful. Leaning into the emptying out to know what we're being flooded with is not to become a doormat. It's to know where real intelligent response can come. It cannot come from more spinning. And do we really know that? How well do we know that? And as she was able to see that process of as she opened out, and you'll have your own version of that, as we deepen into stillness and silence and kindness and tenderness and brightness and clarity 
and joy, whichever ones of those you're tasting or developing or deepening it. Spaciousness. Then that compulsive activation can arise. Something can arise into that. Something of contact. Sights, smells, taste, sound, touch and thought. And if we're not clear what's happening, we will react to the pleasant, the unpleasant or the neutral in the same old way. And off we go. Never arriving home. Never resting in the home that we seek. So knowing what we're saturated with. Otherwise our whole field organizes around the loudest perception. I'm bad. We're compelled by that thought. The field organizes around that and that becomes who I am. What are some of your favorites? I can't do this. Right. Can we see that's a detail, that's a, a little firework opening, uh, sort of moving through the whole arena of this vast field? We're not asked to pick it up and take it as me or mine. It's just a gut reflex. Well, just a gut reflex. It's the gut reflex we have to work with all the time. It's not just a gut reflex. It's a gut reflex. Gut reflex is a fast. (laughs) Got to do something here for my safety, survival, whatever it is. So tuning to that which doesn't call so loud while we know the detail that arises the fireworks, the hardness. The ones that really get us, those top ten. Nobody here likes me. I'm never welcome. Can we sit here and see the detail while still tuning into the field that doesn't call so loud? Can we notice when we're not activating ourselves? What is there? What is the cooling like? The cooling out of the heat the the agitation, the sort of restless flicker that we'll keep finding something to move on. What's it like when the restless flicker's not there? Or we see the restless flicker as a detail within a much larger field. Oh, yeah, there's this restless flicker through my system and my mind. And there's this wide, this width, this breadth, this space, this coolness, this warmth, this lovingness, this brightness, this clarity, this strength, 
this perseverance, this power to be, power in its deepest awakened form is the power to be where we are with what is arising without taking it to be I, me or mine. There's a power there in the human noble spirit. This is an ennobling path as we work with the detail and learn how to widen and soften with it, find skillful ways of working with it, with our love, our imagination, our clarity, our seeing into, our looking into. We can find many skillful means. But if we've lost contact with the knowing that this too This too, at its very nature, is something that will move, is something that is light. That if it calls really loud, actually, where it may have a lot of pain in it, this on some level of the mystery is still the surface. It's still the surface. What draws us deeper is quieter. Listening to the silence. Right now, that hum of the radiators or the hunger in your belly or in this case, the coolness of my fingers. There's a a little tenderness in my heart. There's an ordinariness in just being here with you. Not adding anything. Not taking anything away. We don't have to diminish ourselves. Nor augment ourselves. Are, we, are you willing to be this basic? Because when we're not adding, and we can practice it, because it may only happen for a couple of seconds at a time. Are you willing to be this basic? Because in any moment that we're not adding to the sense perception of a sound or a sight, We're not adding the layers of defense, the layers that buffer our heart against our perception of other and the world, that that act as a shell around us to try and mediate the uncontrollability of this existence. So it can feel vulnerable, undefended, simple, ordinary, We don't get to be great. What a relief. And we don't get to be terrible. We're empty. You know, you get the metaphors in the, don't you, in all kinds of spiritual traditions, being empty-handed is where we're in a place to receive what's offered and handle it. When our hands are busy pushing away what's here or pulling it towards us or even in our imagination, 
The hands are full. We miss the life. We miss the life. We miss the life and get to our deathbed wondering, apparently, what was all that about? These are, these are um, oh, choices, actually, when we're awake to that. We can either have the vulnerability then or we can have it now as well. Practice practice being unclothed because it's quite basic. My guess is the Buddha was pretty naked in that way. When the doorways of perception are available and open, our eyes, our ears, our touch, the ideas, each other, doesn't make sense anymore, does it? That's an extra. That's an addition. That's a proliferation and a conventional reality that's helpful to articulate. So I know what seat to sit in and you know what seat to sit in. We have that convention of, of each other. But at this very basic, 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 fundamental, primary, immediate level, here and now, the only place our life is unconceived. What's here? What's here right, right now? It's not later when I've shut up. It's this. Or later when you've had your dinner and then you can think about it. Or whatever your mind does. And the more we wake up a little bit and get... that, Here's where the spiritual faculties deepen. Rather than leaning on the chitta, leaning on ideas about ourselves or the world, the chitta learns, and what way freedom is described, is chitta, heart-mind, chitta without supports. Chitta not leaning on ideas anymore. We can have ideas. Can't stop them, that's what the mind's for, isn't it? Keeps coming up with them. They're details in a way. And they can be beautiful and noble and they can be awful. Chitta without supports. And we practice that. We go out, I go out and I stand by the tree and I look at the bark and I sit under the canopy of the tree and the sunlight's on me and here I am. Basic. It's cold, it's hot, it's bright, it's dull. There's happiness or sadness. It's okay, all of that. Basic contact, contact, immediate experience. For that few seconds, what's it like to be emptied out? To not be conceiving of myself. It's usually a relief. But we'll then see the next activation. Oh, and they shouldn't do that, and I'm not going to get this, and I can't stay here, and why didn't they do that, and I wish I was doing Sufi dancing instead, and da-da-da-da-da, right? You're here. Let's sit together right now in this simple, simple, simpleness. Do we dare to be this simple? Because when we are, when I, if I, when that sitting is possible, to sit in this simplicity, it's undefended, or less defended, we can say. The layers drop away, it's less defended. 
not in control. We feel what it is to be a human in this world of incredibleness and pain. And the spiritual faculties, that's where they come together. That's what starts to be the motor rather than the motor of being compelled to activate myself. The faith deepens just a little bit. It's okay to sit here. It's okay to sit here. It also speaks to me that whisper, we could say, of the deathless nature, that call to spiritual freedom, to know it more and more. Will you hang out here? In fact, we're always hanging out here. It just gets covered over. And that's what we start to believe. I sometimes uh, say this, tell people about this Calvin and Hobbes cartoon, which speaks to this, actually, I think, of this, you know, this little kid, he's about six, and he has a... In this one, he's just a little kid who's six. And in the first frame... He's watching telly and his mum says, go, go outside and play. And he goes, no. And the next one she's doing the same. And the next one she's doing the same. Eventually she gets him by the scruff of the neck. She goes, and he's kicking and screaming. That's some of our spiritual practice too, isn't it? For many of us. No, not this. Not this. I'll do somebody else's path. Not, not this bit, please. Not this pain or this not. Right? She's got him by the scruff of the neck and she's... He's kicking and screaming, and she's plonking him outside the back door. She, and she says, why not? Just go outside and play. Why not? And he's looking a bit panicked, because that can also be part of the <sighs> dissolving as we die to the old identities. She puts him outside the back door, and he looks up at the sky. And he's got his arms open, and he's kind of open, but a little bit scared looking. And he said, he says... It's too real. It's too real. And for me in the path, our our taste and our love for what's real starts to um, replace our allegiance to what's not real. And by real here, I mean what isn't true. That things are not mine I can't get it together to make this life anything other than something that I'm born naked and I die naked the unreality of taking conditions to be me life is much more mysterious than that that our allegiance shifts and I think, it, I think we do it again and again. It shifts. 
again and again. We make that turn in our practice again and again, at least I do. We turn again and again. We know that the doorways that lead to compulsively activating myself when I start to see them, of course, and we've looked at working with them compassionately and skillfully, but realizing that they don't lead onward to what my heart deeply yearns for and is called to as its birthright and freedom. We make that turn again and again to the phenomenological study the ordinariness, the simplicity, the way that gets layered over, the pain that we have to move through at times, the beauty that we have to tolerate at times, the ordinariness. The undistorted descent to emptiness. So let's uh, just sit for a minute together and all being well, lunch will happen. Of course, you know, we're just assuming they've put it there, right? Chances are they have, and we can rest into that. But let's breathe in the here and now, our only doorway to what we, whatever it is we truly love and wish for. And out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right-doing, there's a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas and language, even the phrase each other, doesn't make sense. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.